Good morning, New Life Midtown. Woo! Come on, 9 a.m. I need you all to wake up. This is like Super Bowl Sunday for Christians. So, like, even if you don't feel like you got energy, I just need you to fake it. Because sometimes you got to go into the bathroom and smile really hard to remind yourself that you're, that you're happy. If you know, you know. I have the delightful privilege of presenting the announcements to you all. So... Guys, next Sunday is Baptism Sunday, which is also like the second Super Bowl Sunday for Christians. So it's going to be a party. It's going to be so amazing. If you are interested in being baptized or if you know someone in your family that would like to be, you can sign up online on our website. That'll be midtown.newlifechurch.org forward slash events. And next thing, which I hold very close to my heart, is CityServe. You guys might have heard of CityServe happening in October. This year we do have a spring city serve because we just need to serve our city more. Hallelujah. Come on. So this year, May 7th, we will be going to Mann Middle School. If you haven't heard us talk about Mann, they are our school partnership here in the city. And they had some damage done during windstorms that blew all their mulch away on these big patches inside the school. So it looks rough. So already morale is a little low, you know, from COVID and from all of these changes. Kids are struggling, teachers are struggling, and now their school doesn't look great. So we have the opportunity to go in there, to remulch everything, to do a lot of landscaping. It's going to be a party. So we need you. I'm hoping, guys, this is a big, big ask, but I would like to get about 50 people from our church there. And you know what? If you're, like, hesitant, guys... It's going to be a party. It's with all of us, and we're super fun. So what are you waiting for? So midtown.newlifechurch.org forward slash events is where you can go to sign up for that. If you have your phones on you, you can do it right now if you want to. I don't know. Just do it. Anyway, guys, can I present to you our pastor, Pastor Jade Duncan? So I don't really believe in having inside jokes and inside stories. For those of you who are here for the first time, Lauren was referencing going into the bathroom and smiling real big, which can be a little odd if you don't know the backstory there. So (laughs) our associate pastor and worship pastor who you saw up here, Jonathan Swindle, a few weeks ago was preaching and he said, guys, whenever I get a little nervous, I just go back into the bathroom, into the stall, and I just smile really big. And now it's just a visual I can't get out of my head. I just, I can't get, but hey, man, hey, it has helped to break the tension today, so I appreciate your smile. Give it up for Jonathan's smile today, you guys. Oh, guys, it is a joy and a delight to have you with us here on this beautiful Easter Sunday morning. I learned something new today that I've not known. I'm not very familiar with the traditions and the rhythms of the liturgical church. So we have a brother who is a part of our family now, Marty Pearsall, who told me this morning that in the liturgical church, in the high church, that in the entire season of Lent, the 40 days leading up to Resurrection Sunday, that there is no hallelujah that is spoken in and amongst the people for that entire 40 days. Right? So we don't sing hallelujah. We don't say hallelujah. I was completely unaware of this. And for those of you guys who may not know what hallelujah means, hallelujah very simply means praise be to God. So it's during this season of Lent, these 40 days, where we're taking company with Christ as he is making his journey to lay down his life to be executed for the sins 
of all of humanity. Now, this is the kicker. So on Easter Sunday, Marty was telling me, the priest stands up, and his opening words are, Hallelujah, Christ is risen. And can you imagine having a praise built up inside of you, pent up for 40 days? And Marty was telling me, he said, Pastor Jade, it's electric. He said the entire church responds with hallelujah, he is risen, or he is risen indeed, and then everyone shouts hallelujah. So I know that we have not been pinning up our hallelujah for 40 days. <laughs> that being said, I'm going to ask you to muster up your deepest and greatest and most powerful hallelujah, and I'm going to say hallelujah, Christ is risen, and you're going to say he is risen indeed, and then we're going to shout hallelujah together. Can we do this? Yeah. All right. Church, hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Christ, you are risen. And you are risen indeed, and we give you praise today. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, come and be welcome amongst us. We love you so much. I want to give a special thank you for all of our Midtown family members who have worked exceedingly hard to help make today a really special day. So for those of you who are serving in every capacity today on this Easter Sunday morning, you've transformed our spaces, made them beautiful. By the way, I'm not sure if you know, but right out these double doors, there's a little backdrop. So if you want to get some pretty pictures of your family while we're all dressed up, looking nice, take advantage. It's right next to the water fountain and take uh, advantage of the opportunity to get some pictures. But we're going to be having a mini brunch taking place between services. And uh, avail yourself to that. Wait a little bit longer. Some people from second service are coming earlier so you guys can meet some of the rest of the family. I've got a buddy of mine. He put on Facebook earlier this week. He says, how many of you guys know of a good place in town for a good Easter brunch? And I just wrote on there, uh, New Life Midtown. And he came back and he was like, bro, he's like, are we having omelets and bacon and sausage? And I was like, oh, we, we got bagels and uh, we, got, we got some yogurt and some granola. And he was like, bro, like, really, I'm taking my kids. And so anyway, I'm sorry. It's a massive letdown. But guys, go enjoy the bagels and the yogurt. And then think, think about, think about bacon. And like, we're thinking about all the vegan people with our bagel bar and our yogurts. If you're here with us today for the very first time, welcome, welcome to New Life Midtown. My name is Jay Duncan. I've been in the city for 18 years, been pastoring this same church now, been in the same church for 18 years. And I love Colorado Springs. I love the people of Colorado Springs. And I just want to announce right now that good things are happening in our city and that we're here to announce that because of the resurrection of Christ, that good things are happening to you and they're happening for you. And I want you to know that before you ever walked in these doors today, that for weeks, people have been praying for you. People have been praying that God would show his goodness to you, that he would meet with you, that he would shower you and overpower you and overcome you with just goodness and joy and peace and mercy. By the way, what places can you go into in the city and people roll up? Like, you don't go to the club and they're like, man, we've been praying for you. But you don't go to a poker group and they're all like, man, we have been saturating this place with prayer that God would meet you. But here you are in a church service today, and I want you to know that we have been praying that you would experience what God wants you to experience. And that is you are deeply cherished and deeply loved and deeply valued. A couple of nights ago, we were downtown at Palmer High School. 
for a Good Friday night service. And as I was standing at the door and I was greeting people, I noticed about five feet away from me, there was a man, he was about 6'4", he was holding a backpack, and he was just sitting there as everybody was walking in, and he was just taking things in. And you could tell that he wasn't a part of either the Midtown or the Downtown family. He was probably somebody off the street just watching what was taking place. And we had been praying that even God would draw people from the street into our Good Friday night service. And so here he is, he's literally standing like right across from me. No one's greeting him, no one's talking to him, so I just reach out and I say, hey man, how are you doing? My name's Jade. How are you? What's your name? And he said, my name's, my name's Mr. I was like, what's up, Mr.? That's easy. I'm not going to forget that. And so as he and I begin engaging in a conversation, I say, hey man, do you want to come in and join our service? And he said, you know, he's looking around real suspicious, and I said, hey, Mr. I said, why don't you come in and you can sit with me? And so he's like, I'll do that. And so we're walking inside, and, and the place is packed, and it's already dark. And as we're walking in, he leans over, and he whispers in my ear, and he says, hey, can you remind me what a Good Friday service is again? He's like, I'm not sure what this Good Friday thing is about. And I said, mister, like, this is the night where we, as people of God and people of faith, where we remember that Christ has died on a cross for our sins. Well, I mean, I'm saying this as we're kind of walking down this aisle. I said, and then Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so we walked all the way down, we moved over, he sat right down next to me, and probably for about 30 seconds, he's looking around, he's real fidgety, he's looking at the words on the screen, we're all singing songs of praise, and he grabbed his backpack, and he bolted out the door. But I'm praying, I'm praying that that little tiny seed of describing what Good Friday service was about, we just pray for Mr. right now, that the Lord just take that seed and reveal Christ to him. So I don't want to assume that anybody's in the room and you know exactly what's happening today. Right? For the past several months, actually, we don't want to assume that everybody in the room knows who God is. So we've been on a series since the beginning of January talking about who God the Father is. We did that for seven weeks. We rolled into another series on who Jesus Christ the Son is. And today, we're going to actually capstone seven weeks of work talking about who is Jesus. We've discovered the fact that he is a good shepherd. He leads us like a shepherd gently takes care of his sheep. We've discovered the fact that Jesus loves sinners and he loves parties, and I love that about Jesus. I'm not exaggerating. Jesus loves parties, and he loves hanging out with people that are socially unacceptable. Right. It's, it's, he, actually, he actually got a rep around town. Like People are like, hey, aren't you the friend of sinners? Yep, that's me. That's me. I'm the friend. I would love to have that title, by the way. Hey, aren't you the friend of sinners? That's me. Yep, just put on a business card and hand it out. Jay Duncan, friend of sinners. I love that. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about... Something that is crucial about who Jesus is, and we're going to be talking about the fact that he is the resurrection and the life. And we're going to begin, again, I don't want to assume, so we're going to back up a couple of steps. And we're going to begin in a story that predates crucifixion, and it also precedes the resurrection. So if you have a Bible, you can open up your Bibles and turn with me to the book of John chapter 11. If you don't, you can follow along on the screens. And here's my hope. I'm hoping that as we walk through this story that you look for two things. You look for yourself in this story. I have a hunch that this story in John chapter 11, which by the way, is the last miracle that Jesus performs before he lays his life down. He starts his first miracle ministry at a wedding and he ends his miracle ministry at a funeral. So I want you to look for yourself in this story. See if you can find yourself anywhere in this story. And then I want you to see if you can find Jesus in your story. So here it begins. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany. Bethany was a village. 
And it was the village that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus all lived in. Verse 2. So this Mary, by the way, is the same Mary who anointed Jesus' feet with perfume and wiped his feet with hair, with her hair. So what's going on here now is Mary and Martha are tending to Lazarus because what the Bible doesn't really tell us is that he's not just sick. He's terminally sick, right? He's fatally sick. He's on his deathbed. So in verse 3, it says, The sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. This is pre-cell phone. Right, So somehow, some way, they got a messenger, and they said, listen, you got to go hunt down Jesus. You've got to find Jesus. And you've got to let him know, and look at this, let him know the one you love is sick. This isn't an arbitrary guy. This isn't a random guy. This isn't a stranger. Jesus, let him know that the one who is close to your heart, your best friend, is laying on his deathbed right now. We find in this story that there are several movements And the first movement we find in John chapter 11 is that there comes a time in every one of our lives when the bottom falls out. This is what I call very simply the crisis. And what do we do in times of crisis? What do we do when we come to the end of ourselves? Like most of us in this room, we're probably competent, capable people. Most of us in this room, we're probably fairly independent. Most of us in this room kind of lean back on our own human resources, our humor, our wit, our charisma, our personality. We have, most of us have the ability to kind of think through a problem and say, hey, if, if, if hard things come at me, I'm just going to buckle down. I'm going to work my way through and I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to get through this. But I think in the human experience, I think that every single one of us come to an ending place. We come to the end of ourselves, right? And this is what's happening right now for Mary and Martha. There's nothing that they can do. There's no homeopathic remedies, right? The doctors have essentially come to Mary and Martha and said, you need to get Lazarus's affairs in order. You need to say your goodbyes because we're nearing the end. I want you to think about kind of the end of yourself. I want you to think about when you've done everything you can to hold a marriage together. You've gone through counseling. You've made the adjustments. You've made the changes. You've read the books. You've gone through fireproof multiple times, and then at the end of it, you just found that you couldn't hold the marriage together. I want you to think about, you know, with inflation happening, there's only so much overtime that you can put in before you realize, I can't even make ends meet, let alone get ahead. And it seems like the debt just keeps incurring, and it keeps incurring, and it keeps incurring. Or think about those things that are inside of you that you that you despise. There are things inside of me that I despise. There are things inside of me that are ugly patterns and cycles of the way that I respond, and I despise them. And I found myself periodically at times in my life coming to the end of myself. Why do I always respond like this? Why do I always explode without bursts of anger? And it seems like no matter what I do to try to count to 10 or, you know, go go into my room or take boxing classes or, you know, vent or release... Like there's just this pent-up brokenness of anger inside of me that comes from unresolved and undealt with hurts in my life. Every one of us come to the end of ourself at some point. And what I want to encourage you is this today, that we were never designed to carry the full weight of life alone. Right? When you and I were created, when the first human beings were created, we were not created to live the human experience by ourselves. 
right? You, you're not smart enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not, your personality is not engaging enough. Your wit and your humor, your strength, that none of those things are strong enough for you to endure the brokenness of a best friend's betrayal on your own. It's not strong enough to endure rising costs where it seems like, you know, in, income is stagnant and rising costs are happening all around us. Pressure, stress, disappointment, frustration, like you and I were never designed to carry the weight of this world by ourselves. And what I want to propose to you today, that when you do find yourself in crisis of any sort, that the most human thing that you can do is actually call out to God. Notice what Mary and Martha do in this moment. They didn't just buckle down and say, we're going to make this work. They called out to God. Jesus, the one that you love, is sick. Now, what's interesting, and it's actually very frustrating. I'm going to be very honest with the next point here. The next movement we find is that Jesus receives message of this. And look at the next verse here in the scripture in John 11. It says, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha, and he loved Mary, and he loved Lazarus. So that point is clear. He's not brushing them off. He's not feeling like this is just some trivial thing. Jesus loved this family. But then he does something very curious. And if I'm going to be really honest with you today, he, said he does something really frustrating. Frustrating because I don't understand it. Because when Jesus gets word of this, look what he does in verse 6. It says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, wait a minute. You just told me that you love these guys. What are you doing? Most of us have been in a situation where if we had a brother or if we had a father or if we had a child that was sick, we wouldn't stay put for two days. And so the next movement we find is that not only is this family experiencing a crisis, they're experiencing what I call a divine delay. You ever experienced a divine delay? The thing that I don't like about God... <laughs> I've been walking closely with the Lord for almost 30 years of my life. And when I say closely, guys, listen, I've given my life to not only being a, a master and a student of the scriptures, I've given my life to knowing who God is personally. And I'm here to tell you after 30 years, one thing I haven't figured out is why God doesn't decide to do the things that I want him to do. The way that I think he should do them. When I think he should do them. Right? He just absolutely refuses to do what I think he should do, the way that I think he should do it, and when I think he should do it. And we find this happening right here. The sisters are desperate. They cry out to God, and Jesus decides, for whatever reason, unbeknownst to us, he decides to stay put for two days. Many of you were in this room two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I gave a prayer request my young nephew, who is a D1 accepted athlete, he's going to be going and playing uh, college uh, soccer here in a couple of months. He was on the soccer field playing a game, and he was cheering his team on, and he was becoming so exuberant and so loud that, that something snapped in his vocal cords. He actually blew a hole in his esophagus, which we didn't know at the time was a very, very dangerous thing. He immediately went into the emergency room, and he stayed there for about a week. After this service, two weeks ago, my family and I, we ended up going up to the hospital and seeing him, and he was walking me through worst-case scenarios. 
So the doctor sat him down. And he said, okay, best, best scenario here is your neck, the hole that you have put inside of your esophagus, it's going to heal by itself, and you'll be fine. Worst case scenario is we're going to have to split you open from your chin to your chest. We're going to have to pull out everything that's in the structure of your throat outside of your body. And we're going to have to find that hole because we don't know where this hole is. And then we're going to have to manually stitch this hole back together and then put it all back inside of your neck. And then we're going to have to stitch you back up. That's the worst case scenario. Can you imagine being a little 18-year-old boy hearing that? And the biggest thing that was running through his mind was, okay, great. So can I go to prom this week? (laughs) Joshua, really? (laughs) Now, here's the good news. Let me give you the good news. The good news is after 10 days, which this should have taken a lot longer, guys, Joshua is completely healed. That's good news. The thing that I don't understand is, okay, God, okay, fine. I'm so glad that you healed him 10 days later. But why? Why did he have to stay in the hospital for those seven nights? And why did he have to get a feeding tube jammed up his nose that goes and puts nutrients into his stomach. And two days later, after he was returned home, he had to go back to the hospital because they pushed the feeding tube in too deep and it was pushing into his intestines. And God, why, why, if, if, if you knew you were going to heal him, why did it take so long? And in the grand scheme, like seven to ten days is not that long. But for a young kid who is sitting in, in virtually isolation and he, he can't, can't even leave the room, God, God, why did it take that long? Guys, there's a lot of things I can tell you about God. I can tell you about his faithfulness. I can tell you about his goodness. I can tell you about his wisdom. I can tell you about his power. I can tell you about his grace. I can tell you about his love that are all very real, real real-time things, not just historical objective facts. These are real-time things. What I cannot tell you is why he chooses to do the things that he does. I can tell you that he is always at work. I can tell you that emphatically, that he is always working. But what I cannot tell you is how he's working. Most of the times and most of the ways that he's working, he's doing it in ways that you're not aware of. A couple of days ago, my young boys, eight years old, they were so excited for weeks. For weeks, their class has been telling them they're going to go on a field trip. And so on this field trip, they had to have a certain kind of lunch. We had to pack it. It had to all be disposable. And so Chrissy's putting the lunch together, and they can't bring, like, Nalgene water bottles. They have to have disposable water bottles. So we've got everything in the lunch taken care of. And then they're like, Mom, we don't, we don't have disposable water bottles. And I was like, guys, don't worry about it. They go to sleep. Dad runs out to the gas station. He buys a couple of water bottles. No big deal, right? But, but that's just kind of a small example of how when you're asleep or when you're, like, caught up in most of your life, God is busy working on your behalf. God is busy paying the bills. God is busy setting things up. He's busy coordinating and organizing and pulling out the resources and setting things up for you that maybe aren't going to happen right now in this moment. See, if you're anything like me, I kind of just see like right now. Like I do my best to plan for, you know, okay, give me a break. I I have a hard time planning for next week, let, let, let alone next year. But God is, God is planning things out for your life. And he's setting things in motion for your life, guys, that are decades down the road. Amen. 
And sometimes we're looking at like, why in God's name aren't you doing what I want you to do now? Because he knows that if he gives you what you want now, it'll probably circumvent or it'll actually disrupt or disqualify or short circuit something that needs to be put inside of you that will help you for years down the road. Are you hearing me today? God always responds. He's always responding to you. He's never ignoring you. He's never brushing you off. He's never sitting back making you kind of like work to get his attention. Friends, let me tell you, that's not the God of the Christian faith. That's not the God we serve. He is always responding to you, but he's not necessarily doing it when or exactly how. The third movement we find is that Jesus finally arrives. He shows up on the scene, and the first thing that we find is that when he arrives, that Lazarus is not only sick now, Lazarus is dead. And Lazarus has been dead for four days. Look at verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Guys, I've, I've read this passage now over the past three months. I've read this passage dozens, if not hundreds of times. And this phrase right here is just, it has messed with me. It has messed with me. Like, listen to the level of disappointment in that. I thought we were friends. Like, we supported your ministry. Like, you said that you loved us. Why in God's name? Why in your name? <laughs> like, like where, where have you been? Like, we sent this letter days ago, and you're showing up, and it's, it's over. It's gone. And look at what she says. I love, I love how real this is. Listen, she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like, and I think almost subversively, she's kind of saying, dude, this is on you, man. This is on you. If you would have been who you say you are, and if you would have done what you say you do, and I've seen you do it for everybody else, I want you to hear the pain of disappointment in Martha. But what's even more fascinating is that, look at the next verse here. Jesus simply says, but then she goes, I know that even now God will give you whatever you're asked. So Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Now, for all of you theological nerds out there, there's so much that's happening right here. Is Jesus, is Jesus saying that your brother will rise again in, in, in this like nebulous resurrection sometime at the end of time? No, he's not. Like here in this moment, here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, your, your, your brother's going to rise again. But, this, but she doesn't understand. It's like in the Jewish faith, they had this concept of resurrection, right? That the people of God who, who belonged to the Jewish faith, that, they would, that their bodies would rise again. Right? That there is an afterlife. So they have this embedded within their, in their faith system. So listen to listen what she says back. She goes, listen, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection. I'm the resurrection. But the resurrection is not just an event. The resurrection is not just kind of some kind of far off thing out there. Sweetie, you're, you're looking in the eyes of the one who makes resurrection possible. So when Martha brings disappointment to Jesus, now again, we've got crisis. She's, the, the, the girls are crying out to God. They're waiting. There's divine delay. And what does Jesus do? He gives them a promise. Your brother's going to rise again. 
And then the next promise he gives very simply is this. I am the resurrection and I am the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. But he is saying so much right here. So first of all, he's saying, Martha, Lazarus is going to be resuscitated here in a few minutes. But then he shifts the conversation. And then he says, and all who believe in me, they will be resurrected for all of eternity. So that even though they die physically, they're going to live spiritually. Are you seeing that right here? And whoever lives spiritually by believing in me will never die spiritually. And then he says to her, do you believe this? Like what I find is so interesting here in this moment is that Jesus is concerned. He knows what's going to happen to Lazarus. What he's concerned is that Martha herself understands that the resurrection is not just some kind of like cosmic universal event that's going to happen to everyone. Now he shifts his focus and he's like, Martha, I want you to understand that resurrection is only possible by believing in me. Not by believing in some God, not by being a good person, not by showing up on Christmas and Easter. Like, Martha, I I, got to make sure that you understand that resurrection life for you is available if you have faith in me, right? Everything that God has available for you has two dimensions to it, right? Everything that God has, there is a now dimension And then there is a forever dimension. There is an eternal dimension. There's a now dimension. There's a not yet dimension, right? So even now, as we cry out to God for healing, there is a measure of healing because of the kingdom of God that we experience now. The kingdom has begun, right? We're touching touching a little bit of the, the beauty and the warmth and the heat of summer now. But for those of you who lived in Colorado Springs for any amount of time, no. Right? What, where, in God, where are we? Are we in winter? Right? It's snowing in June. Right? right? Or are, are we in summer like today? We're going to be in shorts and a tank top. And then I wouldn't be surprised if later this week there's going to be snow. It's like winter and summer, they're just like they're fighting against each other. And there's this crazy space where we're like, uh. I just tell my kids, layers, guys. Layers. Layer. Prepare for everything. Layers. That's where we're at in the, in, in the human story, right? Summer has begun, but winter is still holding on, right? People are still dying, and there's still sickness. This is what I think of winter, by the way, right? There's still just, ugh, there's just we, we hate this season, and I, oh, I'm just longing for summer, and it's coming closer and closer, right? And then there's going to come a day where it's going to be summer forever, and I can't wait for that. That's where we live. That is the human story right now. So, so Jesus is making sure that Martha understands that this promise is available for everyone, but it's available in me. Faith is trusting in me, Martha. Not trusting in like the human story. It's not trusting in yourself. It's not trusting in your ability. It's trusting that the resurrection and the life is right here. It's before you. So the next movement we find is that Martha runs and she gets her sister. She says, Mary, the master's here. Jesus, he's here. So when Mary comes, the whole mood shifts. Martha's engaging with Jesus. It's a little intellectual. I'm a little disappointed in you. But then Mary comes, and you see the whole mood changes. Look with me, if you would, right here, verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet. I mean, she's just completely 
She's, she's completely bottomed out. She falls at his feet, and she says the exact same thing that Martha says. Dude, if you had been here, my brother would still be living. Where were you? And I've seen you heal miracles. I've seen you heal lepers, and I've seen you take a couple of pieces of bread and feed thousands. Dude, where were you? And what we hear in Martha is this intellectual disappointment, and what we see in Mary is we see just the brokenness of emotional pain. Jesus, I needed you. I needed you to come through, and you weren't here for me. Jesus' response, and I want to make sure I really hone in on this for a second. Jesus' response, it's a model for all of us on how to care for people. Now, I want you to think about something. In the back of Jesus' head, he knows that he's going to resuscitate Lazarus. But notice that he doesn't just try to placate her. Oh, no, it's going to be okay. Let's shh. I'm going to bring him back. He doesn't do that. He knows he's going to resuscitate Lazarus, and yet, I just, I just gave the spoiler to the whole story, guys. I'm so sorry. <laughs> he's talking with Mary, and you know what he does? He totally validates her pain. He doesn't dismiss her pain. He doesn't brush it away. Don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. That's when I was growing up when I was a kid. It was always, don't cry, don't cry, right? And I got all this bottled up emotion now because it was, don't cry, don't cry. But Jesus never told Mary, don't cry. In fact, look what Jesus does. When Jesus saw her weeping, and then he's looking around and he's seeing everybody else weeping as well, it says that he was deeply moved and in spirit and he was troubled. Notice that Jesus never defends God. You ever, you ever have something, you ever have your life bottom out and then all of a sudden people give you these stupid, like, broken Christian cliches about God? Or if you just had more faith, or if you just didn't have sin in your life, or like, like... Jesus doesn't defend God. He steps right in. He pays attention. He makes himself fully present to the moment. Well, my sister is hurting. She's in pain. The community around her is grieving because they just lost somebody. And then, 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 then not only does he kind of pay attention and allow himself to be moved, the next verse says, where have you laid him? I, I, I want to come close. I want to hear more of the story. Friends, this is one of the best things we can do to someone who's struggling and bereaving and crying and someone who's lost somebody is just step, step even closer into that. You know what's normal for most of us? What do we want to do? We want to pull away. We want to pull away. You have no idea what I've experienced in my life. We're like, oh, yeah, hey, uh, so what's for dinner today? Like, we just, like, we're just so awkward with the brokenness of people's stories. And it doesn't matter what the subject is. I lost my job. I lost my parents. I lost my, my spouse. My parents got a divorce. I mean, whatever it is, we just want to, like, oh, we just want to pull away from that. Right? Yeah. Look what Jesus does. Where, where'd you put him? Show me the pictures. Tell me the stories. And then Jesus does the most human thing possible. Look at verse 35. He weeps with her. He weeps with her. Like he, he, he steps right into the intensity of her emotion. And he, he shares this moment of pain with her. Right? Guys, listen. That's a model for all of us. Now, here's what's crazy. Can I just, can I just go straight to the end and I'll come, I'll come right back? Jesus knows 
He knows that in a couple of minutes, he's going he's to resuscitate Lazarus. And yet, he validates the reality of the pain of the human story. He doesn't gloss it over. He doesn't shortcut it. He doesn't soften the blow. He says, Mary, your pain is real. And I'm standing with you in your pain. Guys, God is broken over your brokenness. There is nothing that hits you on an emotional level. There is no devastation. There is no loss, no matter how small you seem it is, that God doesn't care about. And he's present to it. Like what I want you to hear today is that he's present to you in the middle of your pain and your struggle. Right? And I, I've got a theory on why that is. But let's go to the next movement here. Right? The next movement is it's not just grief. The next movement is miracle. Because then Jesus comes to the tomb and he speaks into that tomb to Lazarus's dead body and he says, Come out. And Lazarus comes out. Four days. It's important that we understand here that four days in the Jewish tradition was, was very significant because the rabbis of that time and that age, they believed that the spirit kind of hovered over the body for at least three days. But by the fourth day, the spirit is already gone and the body has started to decompose, right? So look right here at verse 38. Jesus once more deeply moved. He came to the tomb and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Deeply moved, came to the tomb. He sees a stone across the cave. And as I read that, I just thought to myself, I wonder if Jesus had this prophetic moment where he's looking at this and going, I'll see you next week. Jesus knows that in about seven days that he's going to find himself in this very same spot. Seven days. So Jesus was deeply moved. He comes to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Next verse, verse 39. He says, take away the stone. But Lord sister of the dead man, by this time there's, there's a bad odor, right? In layman's terms, Jesus, he's going to stink. He's been there for four days. And then Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And life entered back in to Lazarus' dead body. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face, like this is moon night, right in front of us, right here. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes, loose that man, take off the strips of linen, he's bound up, take them off, and now let him go. So, I've got good news, partial good news, I've got really bad news, and then I've got great news. Do you want to hear this? All right? Listen, listen. The partial good news is, Lazarus is alive again, because that is a miracle, that is a miracle. He was dead for four days. It was documented. Everybody in the community is weeping. They're crying out. They want this pillar of the community to come back to life. Jesus goes and he's like, hey, come out. And life enters into his body. That's good news. Here's the bad news. The bad news is Lazarus is going to die again. Lazarus is going to die again. So whatever you and I experience of the kingdom now, it's just an appetizer. It's just an appetizer. It's, it's a foretaste. So here's the thing. 
we believe in healing in this church. We, we even believe that God is able and capable of, of bringing people back from the dead. We believe that. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't come to keep us from dying. Jesus' Jesus's job isn't to go around and make sure that he keeps breathing life into people so that we can, that we can be like eternals. Right? That's not Jesus' job. Jesus didn't come to keep us from dying. Jesus came to give us an entirely new kind of life. So the bad news is this. Jesus simply resuscitates Lazarus. Lazarus is going to die again. And when Jesus brings Lazarus back to life, he sets in motion a chain reaction of events that actually leads to his own death. Right? So people are looking around and going, this guy's getting way too powerful. We've got to end this right now. And in seven days' time, they throw him up on a cross, and they execute him Roman style. And that's what we memorialize, and that's what we remembered on Good Friday. We remember the day that the, that the Son of God himself allowed him, like a slave, to be thrown up on a cross to die for the sins of humanity. But friends, here's the good news. Here's the great news. The good news is that Jesus did not just resuscitate. And I'm using resuscitation very, very strategically here. Because Lazarus was not resurrected in the sense that Jesus was resurrected. Je Lazarus just came back to physical life. But Jesus experienced something that no living creature has ever experienced so that everyone who believes can experience. Guys, I don't think you caught that right now. I need to say that one more time. The good news is that because of what Jesus experienced, that no other human being in the face of history has experienced before Jesus, and no human being has experienced since Jesus yet, that he experienced resurrection, right? He has, he has an entirely new qualitative state of life. It is called eternal life, and he's living in that now. And here's the promise. I am the resurrection, and I am the life, and all who believe in me, that even though they die physically, that they shall live eternally. Friends, would you stand with me this morning? That's good news. That's good news. And the good news for you comes in the same way that it came to Mary, and in the same way it came to Martha, it comes as a promise. The kingdom of God, the goodness of God, the provision of God, the peace of God, the reconciliation of God, the healing of God. Friends, we get to experience that. And we get to experience a taste of that in our lives now. But the good news for all of us is that because Jesus rose again from the dead, that resurrection will be made possible for all of you. Amen. And that the greatest kind of life that you could imagine will be available throughout all of eternity in fellowship with God and in fellowship with a new creation. So would you just pause here for a second? I want to give every one of us an opportunity to think about Lazarus's story in light of the human story. Every one of us has experienced crisis. Every one of us has experienced delays where we have to wait Every one of us have been given promises where we have to believe. Every one of us have experienced loss where we grieve. But I'm here to announce to you today that there will come a time where you will receive the reward of your faith. And it will be Jesus himself 
who is eternal life. I want to invite our communion ministers and attendants to come forward today. And as they're coming forward, I'm going to ask that we just pause and reflect deeply in our heart. And the question for you today very simply is this, do you know the resurrection and the life? Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you not just know about him? I'm not talking about stories and historical data. I'm talking, do you know him like you know the closest person in your life? Because faith in God results in knowing God on that, on, in that kind of way. You can know the God of the universe. You can know him. You can know his thoughts. You can interact with him. You can enjoy a relationship with him. And knowing him leads to loving him. I don't expect people who don't know God to love God. But the more you love him, guys, listen, it is undeniable that you'll come to love him. The more you know what he's about, how he operates, you're going to fall in love with him. You cannot not love Jesus when you know who he really is. And then when you love him, you'll find yourself obeying him. Jesus said this, if you love me, you'll, you'll, you'll obey me. You'll do what I ask you to do. Because everything that God asks us to do is for our good. Even though it may not feel comfortable at the moment. And over the process of time, when you find yourself obeying him, you know what's going to happen? Your life will change. Your life will look more like him. So, Father, today I'm asking right now in this holy space that, Holy Spirit, you would visit us, that you would make Jesus real to us, you would make the mystery of the gospel come alive to us. If you're here today and you would say, I've never heard this story before, or I've never heard it quite this way, or I've never thought about it like this, or I'm far from God and I realize that I, I want to make peace with God. Friends, I want to give you a simple invitation right now. I don't think it's an accident or it's a coincidence that you're here in this place where the good news of the resurrection of Jesus is being made clear to you. And even greater news very simply is this. There's nothing that you have to do for it but to say, yes, I believe. Jesus, I believe that you're the resurrection and the life. Jesus, I believe that you're the only one who can patch together my brokenness when the bottom falls out. Jesus, I call out to you like Mary and Martha called out to you today. Jesus, I come and I bring to you the pain of my life. And even though you may not see those things completely remedied or mended the way that you want them to, friends, I promise you, he's at work. He's at work. And he's going to make something beautiful out of your story. We were singing the song earlier today that says, you make beauty for ashes. Like, what is that? It's poetic language to describe a promise. That it, when it seems like everything in your life has burned down to ash, that God can take that and he can make something beautiful. Your story's not over. God's on your side. So if you're here today, I want to invite you to simply pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I believe that Jesus is your son, that he's the resurrection and the life. I believe he died for me to take away my sin. I believe he rose again from the dead, making resurrection possible for me. So Jesus, 
I say yes to you. Save me, heal me, and help me in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I want to invite you to come to the table. This is open to all. You can exit on your left. You'll come and you'll hear the pronouncement over you that this is the body of Christ broken for you. And this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then when you go back to your seat, we're all going to take this together and pray. And then we're going to go have bagels. (laughs) You may come to the table. Everything of the kingdom that we experience now is just like a little, it's a little foretaste, it's a little appetizer, it's a teaser. Just like this little cracker is a teaser. It's not a full meal, 
but it speaks to a greater meal that's coming. Today, a lot of us are going to go and we're going to have a brunch or we're going to have a nice dinner with family or friends. I want you to think about what happens in that space. You're experiencing depth of relationship, fellowship, friendship, laughter, joy, abundance, provision. Guys, that's all symbolic of what the new creation looks like for us. This is why God uses things like food. God's a foodie. (laughs) And he's saying, guys, like every time you get together, I want you to take bread and I want you to take a cup and I want you to to just taste a little bit of a, a teaser because the feast is coming. The feast of enjoying my company and my presence unhindered by sin. No distance. It's coming. And so today we gather together and we stand in a long tradition of hundreds of years of the church taking bread. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. You can break that in your palm. And he says, this is my body and it's broken for you. I experienced brokenness just like you experienced brokenness. But my brokenness was given for your healing. So take and eat and receive of the body of Christ. Let's receive. And then he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood is given to you for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, I want to announce to you today, your sins are forgiven. Not because you've done penance, not because you've cleared the deck. Your sins have been forgiven because Jesus Christ was crucified and his death was unlike any other death. So let us receive of the cup today. Amen. Thanks be to God, church. Can we just clap our hands here for a moment in celebration that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And if you'll stand with me this day, I'll pray for our food and I'll send you guys out. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I am praying that every single one of us in this room experience the resurrection life of Jesus, that we would experience the hope that the resurrection brings, the hope of relationships made new, the hope, oh God, that you will provide in a way that we cannot provide for ourselves. I pray that we would come out of this place today. Lord, I pray specifically for any of us who might just be in a dark, dark season of life. And I pray that light would enter in. Lord, I pray that you would bring hope, that you would be working and moving on our behalf in a way that we can see and that we can participate with you with. And Father, I pray that you would mend families back together. Lord, I pray that you would heal bodies Lord, I pray that you would comfort those who are grieving the loss of loved ones today. And may we touch and may we taste that teaser of resurrection life as we are sent out. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, before you bum rush bagels and yogurt.